Well, welcome to 2024, and I'm so glad that you guys are here today because I say this with all sincerity. I think this is going to be one of the most helpful and practical and eye-opening series that we've ever started a year with. And I don't say that lightly. This is this is really important stuff. Now, some of you are going to really appreciate this this uh, this, uh, this particular series because the pace that you're going at it is unsustainable. You've got a lot going on. In fact, so much, a lot of people, so much is going on that it's hard to enjoy any one thing that you're doing. You're going fast. You're getting pulled a whole lot of directions. And that's because we live in a really busy, fast-paced world. Our inboxes, notifications, they keep filling up faster than we can keep up with. The list of people that we want to get back to and the list of people that we should get back to, that just keeps growing. If you've got a job, if you're a student, if you're responsible for others, there's always a new deadline. There's always a new assignment. There's always a new test. There's always a new event. There's always a new problem that needs solving. There's always something, with, especially with all the devices, there's always something that needs updating. Always something that needs updating. Or your attention or fixing life seems to get more expensive all the time. And it seems like their money, it gets harder to find even though things are more expensive. So what if, what if, what if there was a practice that is grounded in the actual pages of scripture that could help us experience greater centeredness and greater focus, greater peace. And even as I say those things, get this, greater productivity, greater blessing, greater abundance. So if you're feeling worn out, if you're feeling like life is robbing you of some energy, of some joy, this is a series for you. And I was thinking about this. This is actually also a series for people that are in a different place. Maybe some of you can relate to this. We live in an age when the realities of retirement don't match the dreams. We talked about this not too long ago in a series that we did called Growing Pains. For others, it's not about things going too fast. It's about life kind of blurring together where one day bleeds into another. And this isn't just for retired folks. This is for a lot of other people too. And you don't have a sense of rhythm. Or life is like this. You think I was working really, really hard for something for this day. And now this day is not meeting those expectations that I thought were going to happen. It feels more like your best days are behind you instead of in front of you. There's a whole lot of people that I've talked to. They feel like I'm, I'm becoming more alone I feel like I am less needed instead of the opposite. I'm feeling like the older I get, the more I've got really close, great relationships. Or the older I get, it's like, okay, now I've got all this wisdom experience that I can use to help other people. So wherever you're at, if you're at that place where the pace of life is like, this is just going too fast. If you're at this place where I don't feel like I really have a pace of life, it kind of blurs together this is a series for you. Wherever you're at, if you feel like the pace or the very essence of life itself is missing something important, there is a theme. It runs from the Bible from beginning to end. And I think it could be a difference maker, the difference maker that you might be looking for. It's a weekly rhythm of rest and work that the Bible calls Sabbath. Sabbath. All right. Before we go any further, I've got a really, really important question for you. So indulge me with this. Um, if you're ready for this question, say I'm ready for the question. Okay. okay. 
because this is an important question, and you can write this down because it's that important. When you hear the word Sabbath, what comes to mind? And just as importantly, where do those thoughts come from? All right, because we're going to be talking about Sabbath, and a lot of people have at least some reference point for this, but I want to challenge us because I have been challenged like crazy in this series, preparing for this. Where do our thoughts about this word Sabbath come from and what comes to mind when we think of this word? I will always do my best to be transparent with you. I will always do my best to do that. And I will be completely honest here when I say, if I look back just even two months ago on this word Sabbath and what I thought about Sabbath and where those thoughts came from, I have to be honest, they only kind of came from the Bible. They mostly came from thoughts that I kind of pieced together about what I had read about the Bible rather than really studying it. It comes more from what I've heard people say about Sabbath than actually going into the Bible itself, looking at the passages, what do they mean in context, and then putting them all together. (sighs) They came from things that I've either assumed or heard from others or developed without any real in-depth personal study. So, questions that come up around this topic are things like, what does the word Sabbath really mean? Like in the Bible, what does it mean? Where do we find instructions about the Sabbath in the Bible? What does the Old Testament say about Sabbath? What does the New Testament say about Sabbath? What did Jesus himself model and teach? What day is the Sabbath day? Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? Does it matter? Can you just pick a day that works for you? Does observing Sabbath today fit in the category of you are following a command or you're engaging in what's called legalism or neither of those things? Imagine this is a test, right? You're, you're taking this test. Think of these questions. Okay, which of the thou shalt nots associated with Sabbath still apply today? Or how about this one? Which of the promises and blessings associated with Sabbath still apply today? People have been practicing, get this, people have been practicing the Sabbath for more than 30 centuries. 30 centuries. Okay, over that time, what have people added that they shouldn't have added? What have people dropped that they shouldn't have dropped? All right, and here's a question. Does any of this even matter? Or why does any of this matter? What are the actual physical and spiritual consequences of getting this wrong or getting this right? And here's a follow-up question to that. Is that even a thing? Can you get this wrong? Can you get this right? (laughs) These are the kind of questions that we're going to wrestle with over the course of this series. And I tell you this, I am convinced now that these are questions that matter. It was something that I kind of sidelined before. But I am convinced now that these are questions that matter. There is more here when it comes to Sabbath than establishing a life-giving rhythm, as important as that is. There is more here than that. This is also about understanding who God is. Sabbath is about that. Sabbath connects the Old Testament with the New in incredible ways. And Sabbath is ultimately about our ultimate destiny. Sabbath is about that and so much more. One of the resources I looked at absolutely nailed it when it said this, quote, Sabbath is woven into the very fabric of the universe. These are some big claims. All right, so here's the roadmap. Here's where we're going for the next five weeks. 
what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the Bible actually says. We're going to be opening up to these, these passages on the Bible. That's weeks one through four. It's our where's it written part of this series. In part one, which begins today, we're going to look at what Sabbath, what it says about Sabbath in the beginning in the book of Genesis. In part two, we're calling it Sabbath in the wilderness. We're going to look at the Old Testament what it says about Sabbath in the Old Testament. In part three, we're going to look at what Jesus modeled and taught. In part four, we're going to look at what Paul modeled and taught. And then, by God's grace, in week five, we're going to try to take all of this and synthesize it together, the full revelation of Scripture on this, and say, all right, what? how do we apply this today? So that's where we're going. Let's get started. And let's start with where the Bible does. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Sabbath goes back to the beginning. All the way back to the beginning. Like so much else in the Bible, the foundation for Sabbath is laid in Genesis. So let's turn someplace that it seems like we turn a lot. And that's because so much of everything starts here in Genesis. Let's go right to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd encourage you right now, hit pause um, and go. And uh, you can download a free Bible app at Bible.com. It's a, it's a great app. All right, here we go. This is how the Bible opens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning, God gets to work. Gets to work. And here's what he does. Number one, if you download the outline, is this. God creates a dwelling place. This is huge. God creates a dwelling place. If you study the book of Genesis, one of the things that you're going to see is that the author of Genesis often does this. He will often contrast this God, the creator God, the God of the Bible, with the other gods of that area. For example, you've got all of these accounts where the sun is a God, the moon is a God. Well, according to scripture, as if, especially if you read the rest of this, these aren't gods that compete with Yahweh. They're his creations. These, these things that some people worship as gods, they display the creator's power and skill. These other gods, in many of these other creation accounts, they needed to rest. They needed to rest. And so they created people so that people could do the work they didn't want to do. That's one of the things that these other gods did. In contrast to that, especially if you continue reading here in Genesis 1, God creates a dwelling place where he can be with humanity. This is all foundational to to where we're going. God is creating in Genesis 1, as he creates, 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 each day, he's creating this sanctuary, and this sanctuary, it is cosmic in scope. Heavens and the earth, cosmic in its size and scope. He creates it. He furnishes it. He puts people in it. This cosmic sanctuary is a place also of abundance and blessing and divine presence. Later in this series, we're going to see that God, this same creator, he provides instructions. He provides instructions for a tent of meeting, portable tent of meeting called the tabernacle. He provides instructions for a temple in Jerusalem. And what do they do? They serve as a mini sanctuary. What he did on this cosmic scale, he then instructs them to do in the smaller scale. And it's all about replicating this. All right, let's go back to our text. Genesis chapter one, the very next verses, verses three through five. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night. And then 
check the order on this. There was evening and there was morning the first day. Again, all of this is so loaded. There are Sabbath practices that people observe today where they connect with what we just read. They, they try to try to do this, remind themselves of this. Um, one of the resources that we're going to highlight over the course of this series is this one right here. It's called The Sabbath. This is the book that if you do some research on Sabbath, the other books reference. This one, it's called The Sabbath by Abraham Heschel. He, um, he says this about like the way some people observe um, the Sabbath. When all work is brought to a standstill, candles are lit. What does it say? Just as creation began with the word, let there be light, so does the celebration of creation begin with the kindling of lights. In the beginning, Scripture says, God brought forth light from darkness and order from the chaos and life where there had been none. And I want to invite you to write this down. His work is very good. This is so important. All of this matters to Sabbath. You might think we're throwing a bunch of dots out there. They'll connect. His work is very good. As we've noted countless times before, we see that repeated in Genesis. God created, it was good. God created, it was good. God created, it was good. Heschel puts it like this. Labor is endowed with divine dignity. Work is good. At least it was meant to be in the beginning. If you go back, in fact, deep into our archives, all the way back to 2014, we did a series on this. We called it God at Work. And we talked about this whole thing. We looked at what the scripture says about how work was originally created to be good. As image bearers of God, we're created to do good work. Good work. All right, here's another important takeaway from the passage we just read. I encourage you to write this down too. Each new day begins when? At sundown. In the Bible, the new day begins at sundown. The order in Genesis is there was evening, then there was morning. In the Bible, Sabbath then begins at sundown. And before the series is over, we're going to spend some time pressing into that. That has been a game changer for me. I think I've talked about this before so many times. A game changer in how I pray now because of this reality that a new day starts with rest. It is, if you want to learn how to be able to go to bed with peace, it, it, this is a game changer. Learning to go, you know what? I start my day where I'm not in control. God, you are. It's this everyday reminder. It's so powerful. Okay, but for the sake of time, let's move on to number four. One of the things we see in Genesis 1 to 3, God ceases Shabbat and he settles in Nuach. Nuach. Sounds like a, like a, what's, what's the Klingons in the Star Trek? Sounds like a Klingon Lieutenant Nuach. All right, this is so important. So important. All right, if you watch it online, this is, come back. If you're multitasking, stop. Pay attention. Make sure the person next to you is paying attention. This is huge. In many of our English Bibles, we just have one word that's used for all this. Rest. Rest. And then later they'll use the word Sabbath. We just have this one word, rest. In the Bible, there's at least two. At least two. This is so important. And so we translate both of these words often as rest. When really there's nuances, there's overlap between these, but there's nuances to each of them. So I put the Hebrew transliteration of those two words in your notes on the, on the screens earlier. In the beginning, God Shabbated. And in the beginning, he nuacht. Both of those words are related to rest. Again, each of them have their own nuance. And together, Shabbat and Nuach, they provide a more complete picture of what's going on. 
So here's Shabbat. Shabbat means to stop, to cease. And on the seventh day, that's where we see that word. On the seventh day, he Shabbated. That's the word that means cease or to stop doing what you're doing. That's the word that we see in Genesis 2, 2 through 3. Now the word nuach, that involves settling into, to dwell in. Now they both have rest that overlaps with those, but one is primarily to cease, the other is to move into, to, to dwell, to settle into. So after Shabbating on the seventh day, the creator then nuached, the man he created into this garden worked it. He rested, if we were to kind of English-size this, he rested Adam into the garden to work it. See how the, in English this just doesn't work. Like you don't, we don't picture you don't rest into a place to work. How is that possible? Well, this is something we're going to press into later in the series, deeper. A different kind of rest follows very good work. There's a different kind of rest that you have after good work. So get this, in the first six days, the creator, what are some of the things he did? He created light from darkness, order from chaos. He separated land from sea. He brought forth life and vegetation and seed-bearing plants and abundance of fruit-bearing trees. He filled the skies with lights, to mark the seasons and the days and future festivals. He also filled the skies and the seas with birds and fish. He filled the land with all kinds of animals. And then last of all, he created a man and a woman in his own image who were created for one another to dwell, to nuach, in this incredible creation, teeming with life and light and abundance and blessing. So on the seventh day, it's not like now God punches out. When he Shabbats, it's not like, oh, okay, I'm done. I'm just punching out. I'm going to go home. It's not like that. You know, many authors and scholars put it more like this. God enters his palace now. And he ascends the throne. So when it's talking about him, like coming in, that's the image here now. It's not, okay, I'm done working. I'm going to, I'm going to go home and crash on the couch. It's now it's the king. It's all as it should be. I'm ascending the throne. Wow. There's a different kind of rest that follows good work. The king could rest because he had brought peace and blessing and abundance to his kingdom. If you're a parent, you can rest in a different way when all the kids are asleep and everything's okay, right? If you're, if you're a supervisor, everyone's in the right position, doing their job, got the right people. It's all working. You get a different kind of rest. In our blameless series, this is interesting how this all ties with science and all this type of thing. In the blameless series, we reference what's known as, quote, the Harvard Grant study. It is the largest study of its kind in United States history. It's been going for like 75 years or something like that. And after all of this study, all this research, they said, here are the top two keys to happiness, contentment, relationships, and meaningful work. Those two things. Which of those two things, when God ascended the throne and he put people in that garden, which of those two things did they have? They had the two things that you need most to have happiness, contentment. They're in this incredible, credible space. So some people, you know, they, when they say, okay, what was it like? like how, how can you be rested into work? Well, if they say, okay, like this. It's like, Settling into an amazing Montana ranch. Someone's like, okay, now, here you go. Or it's settling into an amazing 
beachfront estate on a tropical island. Like, here you go. Or it's, you're settling into this amazing penthouse apartment in New York City overlooking Central Park. Here you go. It's a different kind of resting into. Or as the Bible Project guys put it this way, they said it's like the work of a kid on Halloween where you're like out there going around and there's this abundance all around you everywhere you go. It's like people are giving you stuff and then your work is to gather it and to sort it. Sort the candy. I'm like, that's actually pretty good. All right, let's go back to our text. Genesis chapter 2, now 1 through 3. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested. He rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it what? Holy, remember that too, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All right, so there the word Shabbat is being used in that context. All right, there's a whole lot there. For example, on day seven, and only on day seven, there's no mention of morning or evening, or evening or morning. There's no mention of that. That struck a whole lot of commentators. People aren't sure exactly what to do with that. But as some people ask why, they're like, there's clearly some kind of signal. Are, are, are they trying to say that maybe there's potential here for a day that doesn't end? Like there's, there's just some interesting things there. That's an interesting conversation. We don't know that one, but here's something we do know from the text. And this is number five. The seventh day is holy and it's blessed. The words we translated holy and blessed, they are all over the Bible. These two words are all over the Bible. And yet, these are words that have lost so much richness in our culture. So much richness. Um, here's how one person put it. I love this quote. It's weird to fill your mouth with words that have been drained of meaning. It's like wrapping your tongue around a fossil. Do you ever feel like that when you're using sometimes some of these words that just don't have meaning anymore? Holy days once meant to open up the heavens for a glimpse of time on a cosmic scale. They're now holidays meant for ski trips, preschool parties. Well, in the beginning, God blesses the seventh day and he declares it what? Holy, holy. Now, God had already blessed other days, which implies if he's blessing something, we see it in the Bible. He blesses the other days and boom, there's life all over the place teeming with life. So abundance, when God blesses it, there's stuff that happens. So you can assume then, if he's blessing this day, there's going to be something to that. There's going to be something to it if he's blessing it. Now what's unique about this day, because there are other days that are blessed, what's unique about this day is that God declares the seventh day holy. Holiness, that's an apartness, a set-apartness. The same kind of set-apartness that is reserved for God. And I believe you guys can look this up and, and see if I miss something. This might be the first time anything is declared holy in the Bible. And it's a day. The first thing declared holy in the Bible is a day. That is such a radical departure from what the rest of the world was thinking when they would think God and they would think holiness. One would expect in that time and that place and in pretty much many, many, many of the centuries afterwards, 
that the first holy thing would be an altar or it'd be a shrine or it'd be an idol or it'd be a mountain or it'd be some other object or place. But this is holiness in time. The seventh day is the very first thing to be recognized as holy, a day. And then you got that threefold reference to God, Shabbating on the seventh day. God rested, God rested, God rested. It seems to be sending a very clear message. How do you treat that holy day as holy? You do what God did. You Shabbat on it. All right, here's what Heschel says about that. This is, again, so good. The seventh day is a mine where the Spirit's precious metal can be found with which to construct the palace in time. He sanctified the seventh day, so shall we. All right, so much more we can say about that. We got to keep going, and I wish we could spend more time on this next one too because this is just so eye-opening. Number six, the number seven appears to be what? Significant. With hindsight, I'd probably cross off appears to be. This is something you're not going to pick up on if you're reading the Bible in English. In Scripture, the number seven, it's symbolic. It's symbolic of wholeness. It's symbolic of completion. And here's an example of what's going on in the Bible with Shabbat. Um, this is, and you ever heard this phrase, the tip of the iceberg? What you, what you see, there's like so much more underneath. Okay, this isn't the tip of the iceberg. This is the snowflake on the top of the tip of the iceberg, right? So this is just a tiny example. We probably are all aware of the prevalence of sevens in the book of Revelation, letters of Paul, Gospel of John, Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3. It's less obvious in our English translation. But get this, the Hebrew account is composed of how many sections? Seven. Verse 1 contains how many words? Seven. Verse 2 contains 14 words, multiple of seven. Many words occur in multiples of Seven, words like God, earth, heavens, and light occur 35, 21, 21, and seven times, respectively. In addition, Genesis 2, 2 through 3, which we just read, has three sentences of how many Hebrew words? Seven. And the middle, because seven is one of these numbers, you can put three on one side, three on the other side, one in the middle. The middle word in each sentence is the word for which day? The seventh day, which is used to emphasize this. This is all over all over the Bible when it comes to a whole lot of things, but especially Shabbat. Um, a place, if you want to go, over the course of the series, we're going to give you all kinds of references. The Bible Project has 14 episodes, a 14-episode podcast. They devote several episodes to this because there's that much to say about it. It's incredible, incredible. It ties the Bible together, this whole thing with all these sevens, and it creates this grand narrative with this seven that it's going somewhere. History is going somewhere. And Sabbath is a reflection of that. It's moving towards this unending Sabbath where the sun never sets. I tell you, Sabbath, it is a diamond with many facets. And one of them is this. Sabbath is a rhythmic reminder. It's actually even a taste of a future Shabbat, a future Nuwak to come. All right, there's so much more that we can find here in the beginning. We're just getting started, but we're also almost out of time. So <laughs> let me give you just one more. Number seven, one more. In Genesis 1 through 3, disobedience and grace both come as a co- come at a cost. 
This happens also in the beginning. There is an invitation that we have in these opening pages of Genesis to enter into a sacred timeline, to enter into a sacred timeline with a holy day. And this sacred day where there is abundance and there's blessing and there's divine presence. We are liberated as we continue on with the story here and we see things that are associated with Shabbat. We are liberated from fear. We're liberated from shame. We're liberated from stress. We're liberated from anxiety. We're liberated from loneliness. We're liberated from meaninglessness and chasing after the wind. And yet, what do we do as people? We got this invitation. What do we do? What has humanity done over the centuries? We rebel against that. That's the invitation. And we rebel against it. That is foolish. But we do it anyway. And it's also costly. I want to encourage you, because we're, you know, we're going overtime already as it is. I want to encourage you to read Genesis chapter three, where it describes is called the fall. And look at the words that happen when, when humanity says, no, we're going to go our own way. Look at the words that are now associated with work. Look at what it does to relationships. When we go our own way, we rebel against God. Look at all of the things that it says and tell me if our life doesn't seem more like that, our existence. Tell me if it doesn't seem like people are no longer walking with God the way we once did. Where people are now, we're alienated against each other. Tell me if work doesn't seem harder than kids trick-or-treating on Sunday or on Halloween and, and arranging their stuff, their, their candy. Tell me that often work doesn't feel like toil where there's thorns and a whole lot of blood, sweat, and tears, sometimes with very little show for it. It sure seems like this matches up with a lot of our experience. Could that be related to us and Shabbat and all of these things? So we see that there's cost with disobedience, but we also see that grace is costly too. We see that in the beginning. We see that the first time there's any mention of something being put to death is to help cover the shame of the people. There's a sacrifice that's made to cover their shame. And there's a prophecy that's made of a costly sacrifice that'll be made to buy a savior in the fullness of time. So Sabbath, correctly understood, this is the foundation. All of it's there, the story of Jesus, the whole thing. It's, it's all here. Rightly understood, Sabbath, it's a promise and it's a taste of an ultimate dwelling with God that is yet to come. <laughs> and one more thing I want to say here before we give an invitation to us today. There was nothing like this in the ancient world. Nothing like this. This is one of the reasons why it's so important and helpful to go and study these things. Because if you just go to one of the comparative religion classes, you know, like in college or something like that, they're going to go, you know, actually the Babylonians were practicing this and, and, and the, the, the Jewish folks adopted it from the Babylonians. No. <laughs> what we try to do in the, when we're preparing is we try to draw from a wide range of resources, you know, so that we can see what, what is everyone saying about this? And one of the resources that we were using specifically for this series, it's called the Anchor Bible Dictionary. And you can fact check on the Anchor Bible Dictionary. The Anchor Bible Dictionary is put out by the team at Yale. And Yale, um, their divinity school, they're not afraid to question the Bible's historicity. They're not afraid to, to question traditional understandings of the Bible. They're, they're, um, a very unorthodox at different times, uh, understandings of some of these things. 
And here's what they say. They don't pull any punches on this because they work really hard at their scholarship, really, really hard. They said this, and I quote, in spite of extensive efforts of more than a century of study, each hypothesis or combination of hypotheses has insurmountable problems. In other words, they're saying, if someone tells you that, it doesn't check out. It doesn't check out. So in other words, there was nothing like this in the ancient world, like Sabbath. Sabbath is the first time where people really took time, and instead of time being marked by the phases of the moon or by the height of the sun on the horizon, now time was measured every seven days. It was the beginning of a week. This is traced back to the book of Genesis. So, as we begin this new year, here's our invitation. I invite everyone to take a deep dive in the Sabbath. When I say deep dive, I want to invite you to do more than we can do on a Sunday morning. We run out of time really quick. I want to invite you to do a deep dive into what does Scripture say? Not just what does your influencer say, right? Not what, what, just what your pastor says. What does Scripture say about the one of the most misunderstood, ignored, necessary, and delightful commands ever given. I want you to radio host remind us. He said there's things that we're obligated to that we benefit from. That we benefit from. The deeper I'm digging into this, the more I'm confident when I say Sabbath is one of those things. Because we're going to see next week, it's one of the Ten Commandments. We forget that. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So it's a command. Which of the other commandments do we reject? <laughs> it's one of the Ten Commandments. But it's also delightful. It's also necessary. It's a really good thing. Well, we can only cover so much ground on Sundays. As soon as we can, here's what we're going to do. We're going to create a resource page. It'll eventually go up as soon as we can get it done. Emmanuel.church slash Sabbath. And there we're going to list 150 passages in the Bible that you can look up, the ones that directly reference um, Sabbath. We're going to put a list of good Bible study resources that you can use to say what do those verses say in context. We're going to have a link to a short video from the Bible Project that is a great summary in just a few minutes. We'll also link you to that podcast where they have 14 episodes that can take you deeper. And then we'll have a curated list of books curated by our own Joel Lawrence. I'm like, Joel, you tell me what are the the, the books that you would recommend on Sabbath for a deeper dive. And so he'll, he's getting together a list, a list of those books. For those of you who don't know Joel, sometimes we ask him to come. He's a, a member at our church. Um, sometimes we ask him to come and speak on some topics. He just got named as the president of the pastor of theological, or center for theological studies. So this guy, he knows his stuff. So we'll, we'll put his list on there as well. So we'll get that up, to, that, this, this, um, resource list up to you as soon as we can so that you can take some look, some, a deeper dive into these things. And it's our hope that you're going to come away with a new or renewed awe, awe for this blessed and holy seven day rhythm that's woven in the very fabric of the universe. So Sabbath is one of several ways we can connect with our creator. And we have another way that we're going to do that right here. And we hope that you're going to join us wherever you are too, at home or wherever you are. We're going to join in a sacrament called Holy Communion. If you're new to our church, when we commemorate communion, we commemorate a real event 
which is just what was happening there in the book of Genesis. And this is a real event that opens the door wide for us to connect with our creator. Here's what it says in scripture about this event. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, there's so much that the Bible doesn't say about this sacrament of Holy Communion. It doesn't give a specific age. It doesn't give a specific method. It doesn't give a specific type of bread or wine. But here's something that it does say. This is also in 1 Corinthians 11. Let a person examine themselves and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So at Emmanuel, the only one that's going to keep you from saying yes to Jesus is you. If you can sincerely pray these prayers that we're about to pray, we're going to invite you to participate in this sacrament with us. So for those of you at home, we're going to pray these prayers. We invite you then to make them your own and then take a piece of bread, take your wine or your juice, and then receive this body of Christ given for you, blood of Christ shed for you. For those of you who are here at the studio, we'll do something similar. Um, there'll be, Bob and Carol will be up there at the front. And then instead of us saying, now is your time to go, we want that to be the Holy Spirit ushering you forward. So take some time, make these prayers your own. And then if you would like to come and join us at the Lord's table, we'd invite you to do so. All right, let's prepare ourselves for this moment. I invite those of you here to pray with me and I'd invite you those who are online watching to do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what you have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy of these gifts which you're about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. Father, we pray as we wrestle with these things that are so big. Lord, we apologize that we've made them so small, that we've regulated Sabbath to a day off or something like that, rather than really even trying to attempt to understand this incredible invitation you have for us. And and Lord, I pray that every one of us over the next few weeks, we're going to come away with a deeper understanding of how good you are and how life-giving your invitations are. So Lord, open our eyes even now, open our minds even now, our hearts even now to who you are and the goodness of your creation and the life that you invite us into and the cost that you paid to make that possible through the sacrifice of your son. God, we're grateful. We come to you now humbly, receiving your goodness. And Lord, now we unite our voices in a prayer that your son taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, 
forever and ever. Amen.